Welcome to Movie Oubliette, the film review podcast for movies that most people have mercifully forgotten. I'm Dan. And I'm Conrad. And in each episode, we drag a forsaken film out of the Oubliette. Discuss it and judge it to decide whether it should be set free. <laughs> or whether it should be thrown back and consigned to oblivion forever. <laughs> Welcome to episode 116 of Movie Oubliette, the intercontinental podcast for forgotten fantastical films with me, Conrad, trying to buy all of his Christmas presents in Black Friday sales in Cambridge, UK. <laughs> it's the way. Uh, and me, Dan, about to release a collaborative kids music album down here in Melbourne, Australia. Ooh. We focus on sci-fi, fantasy and horror films because we adore parasitic fungal infections, fairy frolicking in the forests and possess dads on the rampage with farming implements. Mm. Hello, Dan. <laughs> Hello, Conrad. How are you today? I'm not too bad at all, yes. Just horrified that Christmas is suddenly very, very close. <laughs> it is. It's fast approaching. I mean, I do appreciate these sales. I mean, they they never used <laughs> to be this global. You know, Black Friday was an American sale after Thanksgiving, yep. but now it's everywhere. There's Click Frenzy, there's <laughs> Singles Day, which is a, a sale that happens in China that is now everywhere now. Really? But oh, yeah, it, it's, it's all in this block of November that all these sales happen, and yes, very, very <laughs> handy for Christmas presents. It is, yeah. So I, I gather that from from my American friends that Thanksgiving is is sort of the bigger event over there, and it's when family comes together, and and then they they go on this massive buying binge on the day after, yeah, for some reason. And Christmas is more of a smaller affair, maybe with just your immediate family. I don't, um, I don't actually know which one is bigger. I mean. Uh, I, I mean, the whole reason they have a sale is because, you know, everyone's buying presents for the day of, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas. And then the following day, they're trying to get rid of stock. And so they have a sale. Yeah. I mean, that's what Boxing Day sales were uh, for us yes. anyway. Um, yeah. Not sure how it works with Thanksgiving. It's Is it even a present giving day i'm not sure it is or is it no just i think it's just to get together tolerate your family and say that you're thankful for things okay. i think that's it okay. <laughs> I, I don't know then americans tell us tell us why you do these things <laughs> please school us in the ways of thanksgiving because it's it's a strange thing for us it's in the past now so you've escaped it how did it go we yes. want to hear <laughs> yes <laughs> So a collaborative children's album, what's yeah. this all about? Well, I mean, I've been collaborating with a, a couple of people from, from Hit Record um, and on, an, on a kid's album. So we've been working on it for almost a year now, maybe, uh, since the start of the year anyway. And it was supposed to be released in the Northern Hemisphere summer, but just kind of keep getting delayed. And, and we, we <laughs> initially it was going to be an EP, like just like three or four songs, but it's just grown and grown. Now it's 10 songs. Oh, wow. Uh, and I think one, two, three, four, five of us all together worked on it. Uh, it's mainly just me and um, two other people. They did the, m most of the songwriting. I just did mixing and production, that sort of thing. Um, but yes, oh, okay. it's coming out very, very soon. So um, mm. yeah, watch the space. Yeah, why? What's it called? It's called Great Big Forest. Mm, okay. Yeah, a lot of Coming songs. To a platform near you. <laughs> a lot of songs about dogs and trees, uh, but <laughs> all the all the great things in life. That sounds good to me. Need more of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking about other great things, uh, what's in store for us in the mailbag today, Conrad? Well, we received a new review on Apple, I think, Apple Podcasts. Oh, yes. And it was titled Simply the Best. So get oh. ready to blush. <laughs> I love this podcast so, so much. Dan and Conrad are funny, insightful, and so intelligent. 
Their hard oh. work and passion is evident in every single episode, from writing their own jingles for every episode, to watching different cuts of each film, to researching directorial intent. Each episode is packed with all their love, and I'm here for it. Beyond all this, they're also kind and respectful to their fans and patrons. Movie Ubled has created an amazing community of fans, geeks and cinephiles that I'm grateful to be a part of, and I've loved going through their back catalogue of episodes. Thank you so much, says Icon Maker 20 for wow. in the usa just wow <laughs> thank you yes. so much that's amazing it is yeah i mean that's everything i ever hoped we might achieve so it's just it's great to hear that it's hitting those mm. notes for people yeah yeah exactly uh yeah i really appreciate that that's amazing thank you yeah thank you we also heard from uh, Braden, who is looking through our back catalogue and he said enjoyed your leviathan episode which is, yeah, quite a while ago now. Oh, yeah. And they said, my favourite element is Amanda Pay's character jogging in full makeup. No worries at all about breaking into a sweat. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a lot of moisture down there in the, <laughs> under the sea. I don't, I don't really yeah. see the point of makeup. No, I didn't even notice that, but it is hilarious. It's even worse than running in heels in a Jurassic Park adventure. Mm. But there we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On Elvira, Phil and his musings said, Well, for two Elvira virgins, this is a fantastic episode and a wonderful history of the character by Dan as well. A shame she had to leave Twitter just before this episode debuted. Oh, wow, I did not know that. Yeah, she got some negative responses to revealing that she was a member of the LGBTQ uh, community. Oh, no. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah, but I think we'll all be leaving Twitter soon anyway, so I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, it's probably going to collapse pretty soon, yes. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Dustin says, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, should be free of the oubliette, but Elvira's haunted hills can stay in there. Side note, I listened to her autobiography on audiobook, and it's worth checking out if you're an Elvira fan. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I've heard mixed reviews about her second film, so I'm, mm. I'm cautious, but I am still yes. uh, interested. <laughs> I am too. It's on Amazon Prime here at the moment, so I may check it out. Mm. I watched the first five minutes just to, to figure out what the the sort of setting is. And it is sort of medieval times. And it's okay. though she's like in a Hammer horror movie, it looks like. Oh, so okay. I mean, I kind of different. wanted the first movie to be that. So oh, that, yeah. that sounds appealing to me. Yeah, it might work for you, so we'll see. And yes, I do have her audiobook on my Audible queue. Ah, yes. I may well check that one out. Kevin from Planet X said, Love the epi. Mm -hmm. It's obviously short for episode, when you're cool. Mm -hmm. I too discovered this film only fairly recently. Prior, I had only a cursory knowledge of Elvira, and I generally agree with your appraisal. I also felt surprised there wasn't so strong a horror element, and I think the second film addresses that nicely. Haunted Hills, 2002, largely keeps the same tone and humour from Mistress, but puts Elvira in a period gothic horror inspired by Roger Corman's cycle of Poe adaptations. It's nice to see the character thrust into the type of film she lampoons. It's a fun watch, especially Mm. for fans of Mel Brooks' Frankenstein and Dracula parodies like myself. So there you go. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very fascinated now. Yes. Let's check it out. Hmm. Yeah, will do. And finally, we heard from the very handsome and intelligent Serge of Cold Crush Pictures. <laughs> Hello, Serge. Hello, Serge. He says, it took me two viewings to dial into Elvira, Mistress of the Dark's wavelength, but I came around in a big way. As Movie Oubliette says in their latest ep, it's a style of comedy that isn't really around anymore, but it's done very well, and there's no telling when we'll get another. Mm. There you go. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Yeah. So thanks for rating and reviewing and for writing in. We always love hearing from you. Yes, yes. Please comment some more. Uh, So Conrad, uh, what is in the oubliette today for us to check out? Well, it'll be a change of advertised film today for the first time ever Mm. in our podcast history. Unfortunately, our planned guest wasn't able to be with us today due to unforeseen circumstances. 
which is, uh, yes, sad, but we will catch up with them very soon mm -hmm. in the new year, I hope, and we will do Kronos then. So today, well, I suppose I better go over to the Oubliette and find out. I think I'll take my camera for some reason. Oh, it's night time and it's the woods for some reason down here. Oh, okay, yeah. I can't see a thing. I'm going to use my camera flash. <laughs> oh, that's a bit creepy. Ooh. What are they? Creatures? No idea, but I've just revealed a film on the floor, so okay. I'll just grab that and come back. <laughs> oh, don't creepy-eye me, Ant-Man. You should have just taken the torch, Conrad. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been much more sensible, wouldn't it? <laughs> but now that I'm back here in the light of the studio, I can tell you that I have brought back with me the Hallow, mm. a 2015 horror film directed by Corin Hardy, written by Hardy and Philippe Marino, starring Joseph Maul, Bojana Navakovic, Michael McElhatton, and Michael Smiley. That's mm. a, uh, a British Irish co production filmed in Ireland that premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in 2015. Ah, yes. So what happens in this horror film? Well, it focuses on British conservationist Adam Hitchens and his wife Claire, who move into a remote mill house in Ireland with their baby son Finn to study Ireland's last publicly owned woodland before it's deforested by evil developers. They're soon beset by strange occurrences, a deer ripped apart by a mysterious sentient black fungus, monsters with glowing eyes watching them from the trees, and windows breaking late at night. Is it the local angry farmers who resent the arrival of city folk, or is it, as one policeman suggests with a straight face, drunken nocturnal birds? <laughs> the couple soon realise they're being preyed upon by the Hallow, ancient fairies protecting their vanishing habitat from the interlopers. Will they escape before the creatures steal their baby? Will Claire escape her husband after he's been possessed by parasitic fungus? And will the dog buy the farm first? Oh. Find out after the break. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we are back to talk about the 2015 Irish horror film, The Hello. This is uh, actually a double blind. None of us had seen this movie. We had not. Better ring that jingle. Double blind. <laughs> uh, would you consider this movie to be a folk horror? I would, yes. And I will talk about this a bit more in the movies. But yeah, it's definitely part of the 2010s trend of folk horror movies. There seem to be a lot of people venturing out into rural areas uh -huh. in the 2010s and it not going particularly well. Yeah, I, I would say this was slightly different though, because there are, I kind of feel like there are two types of folk horror. Mm. There's the folk horror where it's just cults. Yes. It's just people being crazy and doing rituals that they shouldn't be doing and, and sacrifices, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Midsummer the ritual that sort of thing uh and then you've got your folk horror with yeah fairy tale creatures which mm. i feel like the hello falls into um yeah i prefer that to be honest like yeah. i feel like the cult aspect is a bit overdone by now yeah, and sometimes they manage to do both at the same time, yes. like former guest David Bruckner's The Ritual, yeah, the where ritual. there's a cult, but there's also a weird creature. So yes. we tick both yeah, boxes, which boxes. is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just the, the general vibe and, and look of this movie did remind me a lot of Pan's Labyrinth, which mm. I think the director does cite as one of the main influences. Um, yeah. Also, Lady in the Water was quite similar mm. uh, in terms of like a modern day setting with, you know, fairy tale creatures. Obviously, uh, Lady in the Water was more of an urban sort of uh, suburban environment, whereas this is just, you know, a cabin in the woods mm. again. I did kind of feel like this movie did what I wanted Lady in the Water to do. I wanted more horror aspects in Lady in the Water, but it didn't deliver on that level, whereas this 
did. There is a lot of horror in this movie, a lot of jump scares. Yes. Uh, the director went on to direct The Nun, which is also just drenched in jump scares galore. It's probably the uber jump scare movie. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying that I haven't seen it because it was so poorly reviewed by critics that I respect. And of course, we had that interaction with Mark Kermode, mm. Britain's leading film critic, because he has this joke that he hates the movies that are quiet, quiet, bang. Yeah. And we tweeted back at him, this one's more quiet, quiet, none. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he talked about that on that on his show, and uh, I might share that clip with our patrons actually because it still makes me smile. Mm, mm, mm. But yeah, it was interesting because at the time Kermode said, you know, that Corin Hardy, this new director, British director, had uh, who was a big fan of the genre, had created this unique and slightly interesting horror movie called The Hallow, mm -hmm. and it's a shame that he would you know go into the Hollywood movie machine and make one of these Blumhouse conjureverse movies and just resort to jump scare after jump scare after jump scare. You know, he'd obviously mm -hmm. his directorial voice had not survived the machine, and I thought, no, actually, if you watch this movie. He was clearly this way all along because there are a lot of shit jump scares in this uh, movie. Yeah, I mean, including ones that really irritate me that are just badly engineered. Like, you know, when the wife has just had the visit from the scary, glowering local farmer and then her husband walks up behind her, yes. but it's really mm -hmm. badly engineered and it's just a loud noise for no reason. And Yes, yeah, is walking in a normal shot up a corridor holding a baby. It's not yeah, scary in yeah. the slightest. So some of it's really bad and unearned, I thought. Yeah, a, a jump scare it needs two elements, really. It needs the visual element, so something jumping out, like yeah. hence the name, uh, and, and also the big bang, the big sound cue. And yeah, without... The visual element, it's just the loud sound. Yeah. It's just <laughs> so, cattle yeah. prod cinema, which yeah. when that kind of thing happens, I've, you know, just end up shouting, oh, fuck you movie, yeah. because I just get annoyed. <laughs> I want a creeping sense of dread with the occasional well-earned and engineered jump, maybe. Mm. But I do not like cattle prod cinema. Yeah. I don't find that clever or entertaining in the slightest. I, I just get annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> There is one jump scare in this movie, which is just, yeah, I I literally was like, fuck you, movie. And that's in the credits. Like, it is, yes. Is and I shouted, fuck you, movie, as well. I did. <laughs> yep, I did. I threw my remote like across the room. After the movie ends, the credits is rolling. And we've got this long shot of like this logging company cutting down trees. And then you have this big sound, like a pre-jump scare, big sound of the truck coming past. And then a hello creature jumping out right at the end after that. It's just like, what's the point in this? Like, I don't get it. It's such a shame because that shot is actually the only shot, first of all, where the camera is locked off. It's on a tripod, mm. whereas the rest of the movie is largely handheld and the cinematography is one of the things I think is pretty poor in this movie. Not in sort of the way that it's lit. I think it looks beautiful and they make take full advantage of the location, but the fact that it's always handheld, even indoors, really wore me down because it just looked expedient and cheap rather than a stylistic choice. Mm -hmm. But maybe it was, I don't know. But that shot is locked off. The credits are rolling. There's this great song on the soundtrack and it mm. pans across the forest being torn down and all the logs lined up against the road and then rests on the untouched forest on the other side of the road and slowly pushes in and you think oh, that's that's actually quite good then the lorry bursts in screen right <laughs> with a sound and you think well that's stupid because you would have heard it coming so fuck you movie but okay and it stops on a log on the lorry that's got yeah. the black fungus on it and you think oh a little warning that something is gonna survive and there could be a sequel uh -huh. okay fade to black now no stupid fucking cattle prod jump cut <laughs> as the truck pulls away and it's clearly not designed that way that's a shot from somewhere else in the movie yeah it didn't need to be there somebody somewhere in the editing bay just completely lost faith in their stylish ending and put that shit on the top of it like a mm. like a rotten cherry on top of the cake and damn them to hell yeah <laughs> I like the concept of the film and the premise and, and the, the fairy 
creatures and that sort of thing, and um, some of the like the weaknesses of of the creatures as well. The fact that they don't like light, they don't like iron, which was interesting. Mm. But I did find sort of the themes kind of confusing, like the whole environment versus civilization, you know, like nature versus mankind. I thought that was kind of confused. Like I didn't think it was that strong. And seeing that last final shot of the logging company, it's like, oh, this is the theme of the movie? I didn't get that. And when you described the synopsis, I didn't know what his job was. Like he was some sort of botanist or something, but he didn't seem to do much work. He just gets high (laughs) a lot. I mean, and they're just living in this house and they have a baby and I don't know, like it it, it felt confusing uh, thematically. Yeah, I didn't know what his goal was. Mm. So I didn't know what the locals objected to. Yeah. There was a tension there that wasn't explained. I mean, then it's revealed that the local farmer, Colm, lost his child to the fairies in the woods Mm. and he's actually just trying to warn them away, but is doing it in the typical gruff pub goers in American Werewolf in London style, whereby they're just not clear enough and they're just really unwelcoming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he just scares them a lot and deposits a book on their table that looks like the Book of the Dead Mm. that they vaguely flick through and learn nothing from. I know. It it spells out everything and they Mm. don't even glance at it. Yeah. No. (laughs) He looks at it once and looks at one woodcut of a baby and says, changeling, and then that just sets up the fact that the baby will have a doppelganger at some point in the movie. But mm, that's it. Yeah. That's the sole and complete contribution of this book to the movie. And I think this highlights something that I noticed with the movie. There are a lot of things like that, like the environmentalist theme, that is just vaguely hinted towards but not really developed. And I think yeah, yeah. the film is trying to be too many things because you've got the parasitic fungus thing going on. Yes. So I thought, okay, is this splinter? Is it the thing? Mm. Because it seems to take people over. They t- He talks about the parasitic fungus that gets into the brains of ants mm-hmm. and affects their behaviour, which is horrifying. Oddly enough, there was a series that I watched around the same time, 2015, called Fortitude, okay. starring Stanley Tucci that was set in the Arctic that had a very similar theme as his black gunk taking over people and turning them into homicidal zombies. Wow, okay. Yeah, quite entertaining. So I don't know whether that's just a a coincidence, but Splinter was 2010, I think. So there just seemed to be a lot of things going on in the baby in peril as well. And the baby monitor with the noises coming through just put me in mind of Insidious. It feels to me like seeing interviews with Corin Hardy, he's a genuine horror fan Mm. who's been making monsters in his garage and making movies on video cameras with his friends since a young age. And he's name checking really great inspirations But the end result is just sort of everything and none of it particularly developed, I felt. Yes, in the interview that I saw, he he has a lot, yeah, all his inspiration, Ray Harryhausen films he grew up on. He mentions Alien, The Evil Dead 2, The Fly, uh, The Thing. And that is all in this movie. Like, it's almost like he's taken all of his favourite films and put it in his first, this is his first film, his debut feature. Um, he also described it as straw dogs or deliverance meets the Pan's Labyrinth, which is mm. it's also that as well. But I did like the fact that it is fairy tale and it is horror because fairy tale normally goes fantasy. Yeah, normally it's always like fairy tales, fairies, mythical creatures. Let's go fantasy, and there aren't that many horror fairy tale movies obviously pan's labyrinth there's a couple of hansel gretel movies uh, that are horror and then you've got your sort of more um traditional fairy tales like company of the wolves with werewolves and, and red riding hood and the witch with witches whereas he wanted to go down a different route with irish folklore uh, which was really interesting. I think it, like I think Irish folklore is fascinating. Like all these like banshees and mm. the changeling aspect, which I I don't know what I've really seen on film. I mean, there are the movies, the changeling, both those two movies, completely different movies about the babies or or beings being swapped out by some you know mythical creature being. But I I don't think I've really seen it in this respect with a baby on film but i'm sure there are films like that um, mm. that have it but um i thought that was really interesting and in that scene i mean big spoilers here in the scene at the end where adam has gone full crazy because he's been infected with the goo 
And so Claire doesn't know whether to believe him or not, or whether he's part of the goo and part of the creatures now, or whether he's still Adam. Mm. And he tells her, no, the baby that you're holding is not the baby. It's a changeling. Here's the baby. I've brought the baby. And I, I thought that was a really gripping scene, her trying to decide whether to go with Adam, the husband that she loves, or to go with her gut instinct of, but this is my baby. I've been holding my baby the whole time. And that final scene of whether or not it's the changeling or the baby or the changeling, I thought that was really good. I'm not sure about the CGI of the baby, though, <laughs> at the end. It's like the worst CGI I've ever seen. It looks in a like movie. stop motion from Evil Dead 2, doesn't it? Or Evil Dead, more likely. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it just didn't work. Uh, like, I mean, talking about effects, what did you think about, like, the creatures and, and just the general special effects of this movie? Well, I enjoyed the special effects because it was largely practical, hmm. I thought. And the monsters are great. They're really well designed. They're really well executed, I thought, in terms of their performance. And I liked the way that they were shot, lit and edited because it was always just enough so that you could see them and you could see them moving in ways that perhaps you weren't expecting in bodily configurations that your eye can't quite work out, mm. but not long enough for you to really say, oh, hang on, there's a guy in a suit. So I thought it got the balance really good, in, in, in mm. fact, in the mm. way it executed the monsters. Watching the behind the scenes, yes. So he used mostly practical effects. He did use some CGI to enhance some of the practical effects, right. but... um. He did spend a lot of time trying to get the creature's movements right. Mm. He hired a guy called Peter Elliott, and he had a background in animal and creature performance choreography. So he was um, more trying to develop movement with breathing. Okay. So there's a really cool behind-the-scenes footage of him like demonstrating how he used breathing with the movement, so like kind of heaving with the movement, which was really interesting, yeah. and having the heads do very subtle kind of jerks that were almost like unnoticeable. So there was a lot of thought gone into the movement and also the mm. creature design with it. They had extensions. Some of them had like stilts on. Some of them had these kind of extensions on the arms. And the faces, they actually wore them on the top of the heads. Oh. So when they were down on all fours, it was like looking forwards, but their faces were actually down, okay. looking at the ground. So they did spend a lot of time trying to make them not look like, you know, people in rubber suits. Yeah, guys in a suit. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, it, yeah, I thought it was really scary, especially that some of the first scenes where you see them. Yeah. And they're just in the background. They're not in focus and they're just kind of moving. They almost look like they're curious, like trying to figure out what's this human doing? Yeah. Yeah, it was really quite terrifying. Definitely. So I love the design of the monsters. I kind of wanted more of a sense of what they were and what they were trying to achieve because it wasn't clear to me, really. No. I mean, no, eventually no. it sort of emerged that they wanted the baby and not just as a way to punish the family, but because they wanted it to be part of their family yeah. in some way. Yeah. I mean, I was confused about that. Like, what was the motive of, you know, terrorizing this couple in the woods? Because they weren't really destroying the woods. I mean, he put a couple of spray painted X's on some trees, but he's not. You know, he's not leaving rubbish behind or, you know, killing <laughs> rabbits or something. You know, he's just like a guy hiking in the woods with the, his baby strapped to his back. Not the greatest parenting, but, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I was confused by motive, but I guess stealing the baby. And when I watched it again, the, I mean, the first quote, how, like, when you trespass, you become the hallowed. So that actually kind of makes sense like they're kind of taking over the humans they're infecting them with the goo mm. so they become part of the hallow i guess is there a motive yeah maybe i couldn't figure out what the relationship was between them and the hallow because it wasn't as though were they like throwing the hallow at them or was it coming from them it seemed to be like two separate 
antagonistic forces in the movie mm. that didn't seem to have any kind of relationship. Like, the, what was the relationship of the fairy folk with the environment that they were in? So you sort of have, like, Act One, you have character development, or at least a setup, mm. with the locals being the antagonists and the monsters being the antagonists. Then you kind of lose interest in the monsters and it becomes a full-on fungal, the thing, the blob, splinter movie. Mm. And then you have The Shining with the with husband. husband going crazy, yeah. Yeah, chasing after the woman and a child. Yeah. So it's sort of three different movies with three different antagonists, and I couldn't mm. see really the relationship between any of them narratively and certainly not thematically. Yeah. There was no thematic coherence at all. And and also after the, the sort of Shining-esque act with, with the husband, with Adam going crazy, then he gains control of his ailment as well so it almost becomes like a district nine mm. type movie where he's still him but he's got the hello strength and he can scream really scary um <laughs> and like you yeah. know pound creatures with a rock that sort of thing yeah and um, so it, it shifts again so you're like i guess because they're trying to play with the fact whether the audience doesn't know whether adam is good or bad yeah i guess and they're trying to play with that. But it, it was confusing because you kind of didn't really know, where is this going? I don't see where the goal is. No. And within that, there are a number of sequences that I thought this doesn't make any sense to me at all. So just simple things like how the fairies managed to lock Adam in the boot of his own car just by slamming the lid. You just see the lids being slammed down, but apparently they managed to push him in it and lock him in it. And... They don't then attack the car and take the baby. They just leave him for hours, presumably, until night falls. And then only when he wakes up do they then launch an assault on the car to take the baby away, mm. which didn't make any sense to me. And another scene where Adam, for some reason, Claire finds it perfectly fine. Well, she does protest, but her husband locks their baby in a cupboard because he thinks that'll be safer than them holding on to it, which doesn't make any sense to me at all. Mm. And the hallow or the fairies steal the baby, but somehow the baby makes no noise whilst this is happening, and it's only when Claire opens the door. She opens the door just in time to see them mm -hmm. finally pulling the baby out of the hole in the wall that they've managed to dig in, and that they did this soundlessly. It's just simple things like that, and just odd things like Claire running through the woods holding one half of the baby monitor and hearing the baby on it to track the baby, and you're thinking, so is the baby wearing a lav mic? Or is it holding the other half of the baby monitor and its little baby fist and screaming into it? I don't, you know, it's just various practical things that I just thought, what? Mm. What is happening? <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like it, it's it's more, they were decisions made just for the movie. Like they seem yes. like this is a horror movie thing that we should do. This would be terrifying for the audience. But yeah, in reality... Not a lot of practical, uh, sort of logical sense when you really think about it. No, it's all decisions to create horror scenes that they'd enjoy doing. Yes. And it's a shame because the first part setting things up, I was on board with. Act one, I was fine with. I thought these are interesting characters. There's a bit of dialogue going on. I'm interested. And then at the end of act one, they say, screw this. Something's not right. We're leaving. And I thought, yay, finally, main characters doing something sensible in a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. They're getting the hell out of here. Obviously, they won't make it, but at least they're making the right decision yeah. rather than carrying on. And at that point, you get like a really great scene. And then after that, the whole thing just sort of derailed, I thought, yeah. for acts two and three. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of found the experience of this movie was similar to watching a slasher movie and, and the fact that it's a whole bunch of people making kind of bad decisions, like, <laughs> like quite bad decisions. Uh, I mean, the husband alone, I mean, he's the worst husband and the worst father he he just like i mean i've written the list of things that he's done so for starters he wanders around in the forest with a baby strapped to his back and inspects a rotting corpse mm. of a deer i mean surely that's parenting 101 don't bring your baby close to a, a rotting corpse it must be in there somewhere yeah he gets high all the time he mm. uh, prioritizes his uh you know 
male needs over, you know, food, cooking <laughs> on the stove or, or the well-being of their baby. Yeah, he, he locks the baby in the cupboard. Uh, uh, when the baby is kidnapped, he starts swinging a pickaxe. Like, <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> yes, Claire what? does say you're going to hit the baby, but he doesn't pay much attention. I, yeah. I guess a, a lot of this is excused by he's infected by parasitic fungus, but not much. Not all the movie, though. I <laughs> no. mean, there are a lot of bad decisions he makes before he's even infected. Yeah. So it, it's kind of one of those movies where, where these are not great characters. They're flawed characters. They're not Ripley's, you know, they're not strong, very, very smart people. No. They're kind of making decisions I might make in circumstances <laughs> like this. True. I might, you know. Um, and it's, yeah, like I said, like the slasher aspect is just like, don't go in there. Why are you going to the shed now? Why, why are you doing that? It's, it's kind of almost like audience participation watching this movie, just me constantly yelling at the movie. But not, I don't know, not in an, an annoying way, which I find with some slashes, like where it's just like grown worthy. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like it has a bit of a path. Like, yeah, it's people making mistakes. I think it's part of the movie. It is, yeah. And none of them were ones where I lost sympathy with the character completely. I mean, partly that's because Joseph Maul is a lovely actor. And I don't know, I struggled with, is it Bohana or Bojana? I'm not sure how to treat I that, I think it's Bo Bojana. Bojana, okay. No Novakovic? Novakovic. She's actually an Australian actress. I did is not she? know that. Ah. Yeah, she's got a Serbian name because she is... Born in Serbia, but mm. she's completely Australian. Oh, she okay. did remind me a lot of like Rose Byrne, who was another Australian actress. Mm. She has that sort of, I don't know, that sort of uh, air about her. Right. And she has been in a, a couple of movies, not a lot. Um, she was in I, Tonya, um, Beyond Skyline, one of the mini Skyline oh, yeah. sequels, and Drag Me to Hell. Yes. Um, also, she was a character, Bianca, from um, Shameless as well. But um, yeah, I didn't know she was Australian in this movie. I thought she was a pretty good character, her character of Claire. Yeah. I sympathized with her character much more than the bad decision-making Adam. Yeah. Um, I was constantly just like, why are you doing this, Adam? <laughs> yeah. I like Joseph Moore. I first saw him in Birdsong, which is a lovely uh, World War One story mm. starring Eddie Redmayne in the lead role and Clements Posey. Uh -huh. Beautiful love story. If you ever want to see the most convincing depiction of first love on screen, uh, that's your movie. I think he's a very sympathetic actor, which keeps you on board with his character, even though he makes a string of really ridiculous decisions. Mm. I was a little bit disappointed with Claire in that she really doesn't get anything to say beyond Act One. The rest of the movie is just, I found her making bizarre mooing noises on ADR in looping, because she just seems to spend Acts Two and Three just going, moo, moo. Yeah, at, yeah. At various things. Yeah. There's no dialogue really from half an hour onwards, and she doesn't really get much agency towards the end. I mean, it's Adam that you see with the flaming weapon going after the child that's in the lair of the beast. I was disappointed at the end. So it's basically aliens, but without Ripley, it's it's yeah. it's Adam. I did want because of of all the terrible decisions that um, Adam made. I thought when he fell off the ladder from the attic mm. and it sounded like he broke his neck i mean yeah. i thought he was not gonna get up from there i thought this is interesting he's gone no more adam now it's clear having to fend for herself i would have really enjoyed that yeah but didn't quite have that no well, of course we have to have the man you know swoop in with a flaming scythe <laughs> and <laughs> decapitate a, uh, a hello creature <laughs> of course yeah now it's time for random trivia okay dan what stunning piece of trivia did you discover in the deep dark woods today Yes, well, there apparently were two mishaps, uh, near misses of uh, tragedy uh, in, in filming oh. this movie. So there was a quad bike accident where a bunch of crew were on a quad bike that skidded off-road and luckily they all uh, survived unscathed. Um, but also there was an incident where a crew member, uh, the lighting director, Eric DeWild, um, was setting up some lights and somehow he put his foot through a ladder 
um, and he falls off the ladder sideways, and Corin Hardy, the uh, director himself, manages to catch him uh, mid-fall, and oh, he wow. avoids uh, injury. And it's all captured on film, on, on the behind the scenes. It's like, whoa, that, that could have been painful. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, saving lives, the director, Corin yeah. Hardy. Accolades for that. I mean, any director that's going to save your life on the set is definitely worth working with. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that's our trivia. Yes. Final thing, what did you think of the music? It's by a composer called James Gosling. Not a name I have come across before. Yeah, James Gosling. Uh, no, no, no one I've come across. He's done a bunch of TV, I think. Yeah, so the music is orchestral. It's a lot of strings and a lot of percussion, a lot of like sort of resonant tones, like a lot of bass heavy frequencies. I don't think there's any real orchestra. Uh, there is live percussion and live drums and apparently a solo violin and solo cello. So whether they just did the thing where they just multi-tracked like the same violin line yeah. 20,000 times to create an orchestra, I'm not sure. But there's brass in there. So I guess all VSTs, like all like just, you know, instrument libraries yeah. rather than an actual orchestra. I thought it was fine. It wasn't groundbreaking, but I did appreciate all the live percussion because it felt much more like a sense of urgency with, with the playing because it was a natural human playing it as opposed to someone just banging away on a MIDI keyboard. Yeah, no, that's true. I think you're right. It's orchestra in a box. It's VST. So I was listening to it and thinking it's just a, a wash of slightly overactive, slightly too much VST orchestral thumping. The percussion was nice, yeah. But it didn't do anything particularly interesting or groundbreaking, hmm. unlike something like The Ritual, Ben Lovett's did the score for that mm-hmm. where it's tonally and instrumentally very interesting and really enhances the atmosphere and puts you in this slightly different world mm-hmm. whereas this is just a wash of orchestral cliches played by vsts and i just listened to it and thought it's the sort of rubbish i would do yeah i, I mean i didn't think it was bad though i didn't think it was bad I, I didn't feel cheap it didn't feel like a tv movie at all like no. it still felt big i mean a little bit cliche but like big and and it's it's one of those modern scores where it's definitely much more about mood and tone than any themes or melodic anything. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a lot of ominous low frequencies and brass swells and but I did appreciate the percussion. Yeah, me too. That's all I've got. <laughs> yeah. Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobly Awards. Hey, it's the Moonly Awards. It's where we present our favourite hello creature, eye-piercing parts of the film in a number of, wait, is that my baby or is that actually a changeling categories? (laughs) Best quote. Okay, my favourite quote was the only significant piece of dialogue I could find in the entire movie, which is where Adam and Claire are in the kitchen and Adam puts his sexual needs in front of dinner, Mm -hmm. burning down the kitchen, um, his baby crying, and Claire is bent over the dishwasher or or something and he's staring at her bottom Mm -hmm. and she says, don't creepy-eye me, (laughs) Ant-Man. And that turns out to be prophetic because he does indeed end up as a possessed drone ant like the ones he mentioned just before. And he has a creepy eye. So, yes. Yeah. He does. (laughs) Uh, My uh, my favourite quote is is actually the opening text, but it is quoted later on in the movie. Uh, It's, uh, so here we go. Hello be their name and blessed be their claim. If you who trespass put down roots, then hello be your name. Mm. Best hair or costume! I saw nothing by way of hair and costume that interested me in this movie. How nothing. You? Yep, yep, me too. Nothing. Uh, just just normal clothing, you know? Like, <laughs> yep. what would you expect? It's cold, they wear a woolly jumper. You know, they have pants on. I mean, it's, it's Ireland and the countryside. Like, who's putting on, on makeup and jogging around, you know? <laughs> 
though. So I, I, I guess kudos to the costume designer for not putting them in something ridiculous that we would comment on. Yeah. Uh, nothing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Most 2010s moment. So I alluded to this before. I think the most 2010s thing about this movie is the folk horror aspect to it. I think it it started pretty much with Robert Eggers' The Witch in 2015. But you've also got David Bruckner, former guest. His film The Ritual from 2017. Mm-hmm. Gareth Evans' Apostle in 2018. Ari Aster's Hereditary and Midsommar, 18 and 19. Lee Cronin's The Hole in the Ground, 2019. Also set in Ireland and has a baby in peril and doppelgangers. Very good movie. Highly recommended. Mm. Um, Krampus, I think, fits into this category. Yes, it's a yes. seasonal one, but it does. Michael Doherty's film from 2015. And possibly an early entry, Ben Wheatley's A Field in England mm. in uh, uh, 2013. Ah, well. right. So, yeah. So a lot of these... Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of what I thought was 2010s in this movie was just the use of a camera for horror. Like, I mean, it started yes. in like the early 2000s and also through to the 2010s with all the, all the, all the found footage stuff. So they use the camera mm-hmm. pretty much like found footage, really. The fact that they're using it as a flash to to scare us, really, as, as audience members, because there is no logical reason for Claire to grab the camera as a source of light <laughs> to, to run away from terrifying yeah. monsters. There's no logical reason. No. The only logical reason is it's a horror movie. It's more scary when you have a bright flash of light rather than constant light. Yeah. Yeah. Favourite scene! I thought the scene... So there's a scene where Claire is in the attic and she's shut the the sort of trap door uh, and then one of the monsters bursts through um, and it's just a claw. It's just a huge claw. And I thought it looked amazing. And and, uh, during watching the behind the scenes, it's all practical. And it looks practical. It looks really there. Um, uh, One thing as well, I I guess this must be a um, reference to Alien. But the the claw extends. um, Mm. Like sort of this little tendril extends out from the, the tip of the claw towards Claire's eye. Uh, to a point where yeah. it's, it's just like a needle point. Um, and I just thought it was terrifying and, and riveting, like, and, and r- a really, really, yeah, horrifying scene. Yeah. Um, it did kind of remind me of the scene from um, Lucio Fulci's film Zombie. Completely different sort of scene, though, but the eye sort of ocular trauma or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> That sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I saw a number of reviews that said, if you're not a fan of eye trauma, this isn't your movie. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> there's a, a lot of eyes with pointy things coming towards them. Mm. My favourite scene was when they were trying to leave because, well, that was a sensible thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was really well done that their attempts to start the car temporarily turns the brake lights on, which means that it illuminates a tableau of slowly advancing monsters behind mm. the car. And they don't move when the light is on. It's just every time the light comes on, they're slightly closer. Yeah, And yeah. it's really disturbing. And the, the capper on the scene is looking forwards adam pushes the the bonnet of the car down mm, and mm. then you suddenly see that they are all around him in in front of the car too and they are really close yeah and then it just complete panic breaks out and i thought well done this is actually really well constructed suspense and terror mm, mm. <laughs> i loved it most cliche moment as i hinted in my introduction to the film does the dog get it yes the dog does mm. Um, But I wanted to point out a slightly different cliché, which is the dog that leads the main character towards a dangerous discovery. And this is another bad decision in slasher movies sort of thing that you've mentioned Uh before. Uh Actually, it's more of a sort of ghosty movie thing, which is, you know, if you hear your dog whining and shouting, don't investigate (laughs) it. Just just call it back. You know, don't don't go and look Mm -hmm. and definitely don't prod the thing that it's found while your baby is strapped up. No, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Best special effect. Uh, it's the hand. It's the big claw. It's it's amazing. It's terrifying. It's a practical effect, so it 
It looks really good. I, I, it's, it's a great effect. It is, and it's exactly the same one that I wrote down as well. Was it practical even to the point where the one of the fingers sort of sprouts, you know, changes into that needle thing and starts advancing, or is that sort of digital addition? Because even that looked really good. Yeah, I'm not sure because the director Corin did mention mm. like they did use CGI to enhance practical effects, but then uh, yeah. one of the other effects uh, guys was talking about how they did, they tried to get it as close to her eye as possible, and then they reversed the footage. So oh. maybe it is practical right to the, the very point, but I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. No, it, it, it is incredible. Yeah, very well executed yes. as well. Yes. So yes. I loved it. I actually thought a lot of the the fungal growths looked really good as well because this is this. Mm. I mean, you don't get this much in modern horror, but this is a body horror movie. There are, mm. you know, hints to the fly. So um, Adam's transformation yes. to this whatever he's transforming into so you've got these kind of growths from his face and his his shoulder and his back and yeah there's these subtle movements that they kind of extend like it's it's really good it's really really good and i think a lot of it is practical as well it's it's amazing animatronics going on there oh wow yeah all homegrown talent as well yes favorite sound effect i didn't have a particularly favorite sound i did notice that everything was very very wet and squishy like even adam taking off a temporary bandage on his eye just taking the cloth off resulted in a sound that was like somebody stirring a giant vat of congealed custard (laughs) um it it was just all a bit too much sometimes and my favorite cliched noise was the camera flash whine yeah yeah i do love but I don't know, in 2015, do cameras make that noise? Because that noise is the the flash sort of building up energy to flash at that intensity again. And I'm I'm not sure in this day and age that they need to. Mm, no, no. Most funniest moment. The funniest scene for me is, um, <laughs> I don't know why it just tickled me, but after Claire discovers her baby has been stolen from the cupboard, and she's chasing like a hint of a yellow blanket uh-huh. that keeps disappearing in front of her in the woods. That sort of got me giggling as it was. But then when she finally got to like a muddy lake and she just sees her baby surfing across it yeah. and then slowly submerge like a submarine, I was just in fits. Yeah, I thought this is clearly not a real baby. Yeah, yeah. So it came as no surprise to me that that ended up being the uh, changeling, changeling yeah, or whatever yeah. it was because it was surfing across a muddy pond <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, uh, funniest for me uh, yeah again unintentional um, but they, they find out that iron is is one of the, the weaknesses of these creatures like they get burnt by iron um, and so they start you know barring up all the windows of iron bars and things like that but I laughed at the fact that their strongest line of, def- of defense um, against the creatures was hanging pots and pans at the window. <laughs> it's just like, wow, <laughs> that that looks strong, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how much iron is in the average modern pan anyway. Yeah, but yeah, there yeah. You go. Okay, yeah. and that's our move, please. Yeah. Hi, I'm Bernard Rose, the director of Paper House, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette. All right, it's uh, final verdict time. Should the Irish folk horror The Hallow be ejected from the Oubliette to infect the world with its fungal goo and be loved by all, or should it be pummeled with iron and thrown back into the darkness of the Oubliette, never to be seen? Again, uh, double blind for us. Mm. None of us had seen it. Conrad, what's your final verdict? Well, it's a tricky one, I have to say, because the director seems like a really nice guy who had really good intentions, a genuine genre fan. I would love to have him on the pod to talk about a movie that he loves. But at the same time, this movie doesn't quite hold up for me. I mean, I think the creature design is great. The execution is great. It looks beautiful. 
But just in terms of coming together as an effective movie, I think the first third of it is solid, but it just goes completely off the rails. And there just seems to be such a desperation to do all our favourite movies in one movie, but there's no thematic consistency, there's no character consistency. I wasn't particularly scared after the first half hour either, because it just seemed to fall apart. I just didn't understand the motives of anybody, really, and I wasn't particularly invested. And it was just such a jumble of different influences and things happening because movie, rather than things happening because (laughs) any kind of logic whatsoever, narratively or thematically. But there there was just so much intent behind it and such an interesting, fertile field that they were delving into, but they just didn't didn't quite make it for me and in the end i just i just found it quite mundane Mm. but promising i didn't hate it but then that last thing happened and i said fuck you movie and threw my remote across the room (laughs) and that was just the final straw for me so my final decision is although i appreciate a lot of it and i think the director's a lovely guy this one didn't do it for me so i would not recommend it to anybody Mm. how about Mm. you uh, it's interesting. This is, our, I think, one of our third, probably our third Irish film that we've done, and all three oh, of yeah. them you didn't recommend. Uh, Rawhead really? Rex. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Rawhead Rex and City of Ember. I mean, that was more of an American Irish film, but... Um, yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what you've got against the Irish, Conrad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, nothing. Honestly, I think even the Irish hate Rawhead Rex, but carry on. <laughs> I mean, I would agree with all of those aspects that you've mentioned. Like, the, I, mm. I, I do think a lot of them, there are a lot of flaws in this movie. I think the characters are deeply flawed as well. Mm. But I love the premise i love this kind of mythology and folklore and putting that in the horror realm i love that i wish there were more movies like this um i don't think there were enough and Mm. i really really appreciated the fact that um corin hardy wanted it to be mainly practical effects that really sells this movie if this movie was all cgi it would have been awful just awful um, and having the practical effects made it much more terrifying. Yes, there are a lot of jump scares and they're really annoying, but I mm. don't know. I didn't find it that irritating and I was on board and it, it it did feel like a very audience participation type of movie where you're just yelling at the screen. And I enjoy that. I really enjoy that. I'm sick of watching movies where characters are just f- flawless like every all the characters now are just so flawless and so like strong and smart and clever and they're doing all the right things like you know sometimes i just want to watch a movie where people make bad decisions and that's fine that's also entertaining <laughs> uh, so i would recommend this movie I, I i like the setting the fact it was shot on location and all the effects and uh, i think it it's, it does hold up and also i really like creature features so uh, yeah. similar to Rawhead Rex, which is, is not a great movie. Um, <laughs> this movie is much better. I would recommend this movie to, to people out there who like folklore and creatures. Okay. Fair enough. Well, you know what that means? We have <laughs> yeah. to bring out... The Coin of Fate! Yes, yes, yes. Uh, did you want to flip it? Yes, I will. Are you going for heads or tails? Ooh, ooh, uh, oh, maybe I'll go for heads because there is a decapitation in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for the first time this year, let's flip the coin of fate. Okay, what's it gonna be? Oh, oh. no, it's heads, <laughs> it's heads, it's heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh. well, uh, the Irish come up on top today. <laughs> yes, luck of the Irish. <laughs> um, the coin of fate has spoken, so off you go into the woods. All right, so listeners, if you want to keep up to date with all our future episodes, you can follow us on uh, all the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Twitter while it lasts, Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> uh, Reddit, um, and you can also email us at uh, movie.com. 
oobly at edgymail.com. Yes, and if you would like to uh, support the show in some way and get involved in our lovely community of cinephiles, then go on over to Patreon, where for as little as a dollar you can nominate feature films for us to cover in future episodes and get extended bits of the show. And for $5, get access to our exclusive minisodes and extended interviews with our very, very special guests. Yes, yes. And we've got merchandise on Redbubble... Check it out, everything you want. Um, and uh, we also do really appreciate our ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever you're consuming us on. It does really help us out and uh, helps spread the word of Movie Oblit. It does, yes. Just like Icon Maker 24. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, what are we doing? Final episode of the year, Conrad, is our next episode. I know. It is, and it will be our seasonal festive special, so we will be covering, <laughs> oh dear, the notorious but rather entertaining 1985 Christmas film from the same production team that brought us Superman the movie. It is Santa Claus the movie. <laughs> okay, I don't know anything about this movie. I've never seen it. I don't oh know what you, all that stuff you just said meant, so I'm very intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in for a treat, an experience, definitely. Fortunately, we will be joined by a super fan and special guest uh, to uh, to see us through this movie, mm, starring okay. Dudley Moore, John Lithgow, David Huddleston, Judy Cornwell, and Burgess Meredith. There we go. So look forward to that. Ah, oh, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> all right listeners i can't wait to celebrate the festive season with you all yes until next time bye for now goodbye we review the films others tend to forget come with us and don't the movie yet 500 years of ancient irish sludge are dripping all over finn's bed